This morning we're carrying on our Lent series. Uh, this is the third of them. And um, the title that was originally uh, given was Who is the Greatest? And, and the reason for that will be uh, clear when we have our reading. Um, but I wanted to think about it from a number of different perspectives because who is the greatest is very much a matter of perspective. So we're going to read from uh, uh, Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30. Not sure what page number it's in the Pew Bible. Anybody got it? 957. Thank you, Jonathan. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and, uh, whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Actually, I'm going to read a a little bit more, sorry, that I didn't put on there. beg your pardon. So I'll pick up uh, again um, verse 38. Whoever is not against us is for us. Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and uh, before everything else we acknowledge that you are the greatest. You are the one that spoke all creation into being. And we come before you to worship you and we ask Lord now that you would open up your word to us. Would you reveal your greatness? Would you help us understand. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. So, greatness, a matter of perspective. I gather, and and, and Claire's uh, disappeared, she's got to go off to the airport, has she? Pick somebody up. But she was telling me this morning that uh, she'd received a card from, uh, um, I don't know whether it's Tim or Nat, saying, from your bestest son. And I wonder how many of you mothers have received a card this morning that says, to the greatest mum in the world. Anybody got one of those this morning? Yes, well done, Doris. 
You are the greatest mum in the world. Can that possibly be? Can we all be the best and the greatest? I don't think so. So it's, it's kind of bizarre that we, we use this language sometimes. But, but often we have kind of overinflated views of, uh, of ourselves and of our importance. And I hope this is going to work. Um, uh, a little video clip, if you just uh, watch the screen now. Um, it's in black and white. It's quite old. And uh, some of you will have seen it, but it's great. I look down on him because I am upper class. I look up to him because he is upper class. But I look down on him because he is lower class. (laughs) I am middle class. (laughs) I know my place. (laughs) I look up to them both. But I don't look up to him as much as I look up to him. Because <laughs> he has got innate breeding. I have got innate breeding, but I have not got any money. <laughs> so sometimes I look up to him. I still look up to him. Because although I have money, I am vulgar. <laughs> but I'm not as vulgar as him. So I still look down on him. I know my place. (laughs) Good. I wonder if you know your place. You see, a lot of um, this stuff about greatness is a matter of perspective. And I'd like to take three perspectives this morning. First of all, what do you think of yourself? How do you look at yourself? What do you think of others? And then lastly... What does Jesus think about us? Those three very different perspectives that I like to draw out from this passage that we've been uh, looking at. Now, if you've been here over the last uh, couple of weeks, you'll you'll know that we started with uh, Chris asking us the question, um, uh, "Who do you say I am?" Jesus asked, "Who do people say I am?" And then he turned it uh, back on the disciples. Uh, who do you say I am? And, and the response the disciples gave, well, uh, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say that you're one of the prophets. And when Jesus asked Peter, but who do you say I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Messiah. But even though he kind of got it part right, as Chris was uh, reminding us, that actually he misunderstood what the meaning of that was. He saw Jesus as somebody that would uh, come as a, as a mighty warrior almost to, uh, to save them from the oppression of the Romans. His idea of a Messiah or a Savior was very much different from the one that Jesus had. And Jesus very firmly rebuked Peter for his view. And then, um, but it was kind of interesting because Peter said to Jesus, almost, you're wrong. (laughs) I know better. Peter had quite a a different view. And then we saw with uh, uh, Jonathan last week that um, uh, three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, had the privilege of going with Jesus and witnessing uh, this wonderful event, the Transfiguration. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that um, Peter, James, and John recognized the two uh, people that appeared with Jesus as Moses and Elijah. Two of the very people that people were saying Jesus was. 
So it was almost as if Jesus was saying, hey, you know, I'm not Moses or Elijah because here they are with me. I'm something very different from this. Um, you need to understand really who I am. And then uh, afterwards, we, um, uh, whilst we looked, uh, whilst we haven't read it this morning, um, if you read on through Mark between uh, the transfiguration and the story that we've got today, you'll see a situation where um, Jesus heals a young boy who is uh, afflicted with an evil spirit. And the disciples have tried to deal with this evil spirit, but they tried to do it in their own strength. And when they said to Jesus, well, why, uh, why, can, why can't uh, we, we deal with this situation? Jesus dealt with it, but then said, only, uh, only by prayer can this kind of situation be dealt with. See, the disciples had tried to do things in their own strength and had failed. And so now we come to our passage today. And again, we see that his disciples are getting special attention from Jesus. Jesus is uh, um, on, uh, going on the way, and he's saying, I, I want to go somewhere where people aren't hassling me. Don't tell anybody where I'm going. And he wanted to do this because he was uh, uh, wanting to teach them. He wanted to be away from the crowds. He didn't want anybody to know where they were. And Jesus again shares his mission. Verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. It couldn't have been clearer, could it? And yet still, they didn't understand. It says they didn't. Now, Jesus spoke many times about his mission, and sometimes he spoke in very cryptic language. Um, on one occasion, he said, um, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. And you could understand that there would be confusion over what he meant. Um, when he was asked for a sign, um, uh, he said, um, you know, uh, an adulterous uh, nation will... Uh, um, Generation will ask for a sign, but no other sign will be given for them except for Jonah. Um, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You could understand that they wouldn't get what he was on about there, but Jesus was saying, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But this time, it's, uh, it's very clear. And, you know, we have the, the benefit of hindsight, don't we, in understanding the significance of what Jesus said. But the disciples didn't. And they were often blind to the truth. And Jesus knew this, right? He knew that uh, they uh, were, um, uh, were going to be uh, confused about this. On the occasion, I don't know if you recall, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, Jesus said this, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Interesting words, yeah? Sound familiar? I am who I am? Exactly the same words that uh, God spoke to Moses 
back in uh, Exodus in the burning bush. And, you know, the the disciples did come to realize, because if we read John 2, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Put those two up there. So you see, it was hard for the disciples to understand what was going on. So we shouldn't mock them um, when it says, you know, they didn't understand what he was saying. It was tough for them to really appreciate, even though throughout Scripture, God had laid out very clearly uh, his plan for humanity. But even though we've got these... uh, disciples who've experienced all these wonderful things that we've read about early in Mark, the challenge that, uh, where Jesus uh, told him their mission, the transfiguration, the healing of that boy uh, of the evil spirit, still they didn't understand. And actually, rather than thinking about the question that Jesus posed them early on, who do you say I am? We find them on the road arguing about who's the greatest. Now, whether they were saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the best, I don't know. I imagine, and this is just me imagining, that the three uh, particular disciples, Peter, James, and John, that were chosen apart from the others to go up the mountain and uh, witness the transfiguration, might well have said, well, Jesus picked us. I'm more important than the others, maybe. We don't uh, see that clearly, but that's the kind of behavior we sometimes have, isn't it? When we, when we think we're, um, we're blessed, we're kind of set apart, you know, surely we're more important than other people. Now, I don't know about you, what your view uh, in kind of acting uh, in humility and so on is, but I look at the, particularly the, the, the world around us in politics at the moment, and I don't see a lot of humility in this land. We've got people who are saying, just get out the way. I know how to fix all this problem. Yeah? Almost like, I'm the greatest. I know what to do. But you know what? We are so weak, and we really don't know <laughs> what, uh, what to do, do we? Are we really the greatest? I don't think so. You know, what do we think about, and what's our attitude um, to God's plan in our lives? Do you humbly submit to what God has in store for you? Or do you say, do you know what, actually, I I know better. I'm going to go off and do the things that I think um, are right for me. You know, it's sometimes hard in hindsight again, isn't it, to understand what is God actually saying to us? Simon sang about the hills and the valleys, and sometimes we go through those kind of dark valley experiences, don't we? And we go, well, how on earth can this be God's plan and uh, and purpose for us? And yet in hindsight, often when we come out of those uh, valley experiences, we can see what God had in store and what he had plan for us. So do we uh, 
you know, think of ourselves more important? Do we get ourselves wrapped up in our experiences, the things that concern us? Or do we humbly submit to God's plans and purposes? Certainly, the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus had to go through. And so Jesus says, if we look in verse 35, I'm going to have to tell you some more. And Jesus sits down. And sitting down was a uh, a mark of teachings about to begin. We saw um, um, in when Jesus uh, picked up the the scroll in the temple, he read from Isaiah, and then he sat down to teach them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sat down to teach. It's a a very scriptural thing, the teaching was done sitting down. So we see Jesus sits down in verse 35 to teach his disciples. And what's he teaching them? He says, anyone who wants to be first must be last. Now, do you think that was a message to the disciples about, hey guys, you're going to have to be a bit more humble in all this? Or do you think that Jesus was actually telling more about him? I think it's probably the latter. Because he's saying, if you want to be first, you've got to be last and a servant of all. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was Lord of all, yet he made himself the last and the least and the servant of all, everyone, that uh, we might be saved. Jesus was the great example of uh, um, the first becoming the last. Even though Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Still, he humbly submitted. And I love the passage in uh, Philippians uh, 2. I'm just going to read it to you. There's a portion of it there, but I'll read a, a longer section. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became the last and the least for us. He became that suffering servant, and as a result he was exalted to that highest place. Jesus was saying, I am the greatest because I've made myself the least. But still, after all this teaching, the disciples didn't get it. Because then we see John blurting out, Jesus, Jesus, we've seen a man driving out demons in your name and he's not one of us. 
Not one of us. I wonder what was behind (laughs) that phrase. We'll come back to that in a moment, but I just want to dwell for a minute about what it means in your name. Because that phrase, in your name, uh, or in my name, is used uh, four times in the next five verses. Verse 37, Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name. Verse 38, driving out demons in your name. Verse 39, no one who does a miracle in my name. Verse 41, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name. What does in my name mean? I think there's a couple of things that uh, we need to look at here. First of all, uh, using somebody's name is in effect acting as a, a proxy with delegated authority. Yeah? If I act on behalf of somebody, I'm saying I'm doing this uh, on behalf of or in the name of something else. Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. He promised that if we uh, ask for him things in his name, it uh, will be granted. But is it enough just to say in your name? When we pray, we often at the end of it say, in the name of Jesus, don't we? Now, is it a magic formula just to take anything we want and tag on the end in the name of Jesus and, and that will come true? I don't think so. Because actually that verse goes on to say, oops, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In my name really means according to the will of God the Father. So anything you ask in God's name ought to be done in a way that glorifies God. And instead of Finishing our prayers in the name of Jesus, amen. Perhaps we ought to finish them. We pray this, that you might be glorified. Because if we're honestly genuine in the things that we pray then, and honestly say that you may be glorified, that changes the whole profile, doesn't it? If we're acting and doing things as Christians in his name, but we're doing them such that people will be that uh, um, people will come to know God, that He will be glorified through it. That changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? Working in His name is not just a magic formula. I've got here um, a passport. Uh, I'm sure you've realised that uh, at the front of the passport there's some very interesting words. It says here, Her Britannic Majesty, Secretary of State, requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. In the name of Her Majesty. Quite an interesting demand that, isn't it? In the name of the Queen, anybody who's bearing this can say, I uh, require you to give me whatever assistance is necessary. Now, does that mean I can use that to smuggle drugs? And when I'm picked up at the airport, go, ah, yes, but the Queen says you've got to let me pass without let or hindrance. Absolutely not. Right? We've got to be working in accordance with the, the laws and the plans and the purposes. And so it is with in the name 
of Jesus. We can't just ask him for anything we want and expect it to be done. We've got to uh, um, uh, see that uh, uh, in the, the, the context of God's will, his plans and his purposes. And in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority, the authority of his name, has, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. It's an instruction for us to go with his authority. So now, what I want to think about, what do you think of others? I want to come back to that statement. Uh, he's not one of us. What does that mean? I think often we have very uh, um, strong opinions about uh, about others. Maybe, uh, you know, in the, the context of, of the church, we might say, yeah, but they're not Baptists. They don't believe the same doctrines as us. Maybe they don't even sing the same songs as us. They're not one of us. What right do we have to believe that we are the greatest, that we are right, that we have uh, um, only uh, a, a monopoly on the truth? And the thing for me that, destroys, that draws a distinction between are we um, one of them, are we you know, a Christian, are we following God's ways, it's all about the outcome. Yeah? Because if we're doing something in God's name and it doesn't yield results, we have to question whether or not we're working in God's will. Because Jesus promised, anything you ask in my name, in accordance with the glory of God, will be done. And if we look at, um, uh, contrast that with uh, what happened in Acts, uh, with the seven sons of Shiva. They were trying to cast out a, a demon, and the demon speaks to them. Um, says, uh, uh, sorry, the, the seven sons uh, said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And the uh, evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Yeah. They weren't acting in the name and under the authority of Jesus, even though they said, in the name of Jesus. So just using that as a, as a kind of magic formula doesn't work. And we see this whole thing about, well, what side are we on? Who's, uh, um, you know... What does it mean when we're talking about in, in the name of and, and being one of us? And the disciples are getting another clear um, teaching from Jesus here. And do you know what? The Pharisees tried to pick Jesus up on this very point when he tried to cast out a demon. Because uh, Jesus said, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Now, this is not an excuse to say, well, anything that is talked about in Jesus' name, anything that's done in the name of, of the church 
is necessarily right. Because we are told um, uh, that many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. We're told out to um, watch for false prophets. They will come in uh, um, sheep's, uh, as wolves in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. But it goes on to say, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will know them. So when we see things being done in Jesus' name, the question is, what's the result of that? Is God's will, God's plans and purposes being worked out? Because Jesus said, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Therefore, you, uh, uh, sorry, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So if we want to say things in Jesus' name, um, if we want to work according to his plans and purposes, we need to test whether we're in God's will according to the fruit that we see from that. So thirdly, what does Jesus think of this? Of of us, rather. Because he uh, goes on to say some some really interesting things. Um, when challenged about the, uh, the person who's casting out demons in Jesus' name, but not one of us, supposedly, Jesus says, whoever's not against us is for us. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting and confuses some people, because in, uh, in Matthew 12, there's, Jesus also says, who is not for me is against me. What does that really mean? So I think there's two ways of looking at this. Either you just draw a very simple conclusion that if you're not for, you're against, and if you're not against, you're for. Fundamentally, there's no sitting on the fence. <laughs> you are either for Jesus or you're against him. Right? There is no neutral ground, whichever way you look at it. But also, if you look carefully at those, uh, those passages, the passage in Matthew, Jesus was talking specifically about demons and uh, uh, demons that were uh, against him. But the whole point is that it's, uh, it's not about an attitude of uh, for and against, it's about the fruit that comes from it. And we have to uh, uh, choose a side, and we have to bear fruit. But when we're thinking about what Jesus thinks about us, even though we have to take a side... Do you think that Jesus takes sides? In my understanding of Scripture, Jesus does not take sides. And I want to have a look at a um, a brief brief passage from Joshua. It may be familiar to some of you. Joshua 5. And this is the the story when... um, the Israelites are about to uh, um, take Jericho. And the night before, Joshua is uh, kind of having a bit of a recce around uh, uh, the walls of Jericho. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, there's uh, different opinions on who this commander of the Lord's army is. My interpretation of it, my reading of it, is that it's a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus. And I say that because when Joshua bows down to worship him, he doesn't object. If it had been an angel, the angel would have said, don't worship me, (laughs) because uh, angels uh, cannot uh, accept worship. And also the language that he uses He said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Exactly the same words as was used in Exodus 3, 5 when uh, um, uh, God spoke from the burning bush. So here's what I believe Jesus saying, I'm neither for you or against you uh, in terms of sides. I'm on everyone's side. You see, God is very patient with us. He doesn't look upon us as, uh, um, you know, you're for me or you're against me. He died for everyone. He didn't die just for those that follow him. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Fantastic words. See, that's why Jesus made himself the last and the least. He became a servant to all. That he might be exalted. You see, when it comes to us, it's not about who's the greatest, who's the most important, who's received the most blessings. We don't follow God for what we can get from him. We follow God for what he can do through us. It's not a question of us being the greatest, but acknowledging that he is the greatest. And in closing, I just want us to review and go back to what Chris said about who do people say I am? And who does Jesus say he is? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's the one that put the whole world into being. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the one that gives you everything you need uh, for sustenance. He says, I am the good shepherd, the one that teaches you, that leads you uh, into places of safety. I am the sheep gate. I am that door to go through into eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can absolutely depend on me. If you follow my way, then you will get life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was killed, he was buried, and he rose again that we might have eternal life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's the one through whom we can bear fruit if we submit humbly to him. 
Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one that frames the whole of eternity. Jesus says, I am who I am. I wonder when you think about yourself and about your your motivations in life and uh, how you see yourselves in comparison to others, I wonder what uh, you make of all that. Do we humbly submit to God's greatness? Or do we think, actually, no, I think I know better, I'm going to do my own things. Because there is only one way that we can genuinely bear fruit in this life. And that is to acknowledge that all things come uh, from, uh, from God. He is the uh, provider of everything. We have everything that we need in him. He says that in my name, you can ask for anything. And by the way, just one little thing on, on in my name. Do you remember what the... Um, third commandment is don't don't take my name in vain don't misuse my name and you know that might be that people think of that as don't swear don't profane the name of God I'm sure it is but also I believe that it means don't misuse it when you say in my name don't ask for things that are not in his name because that's using it in vain there will nothing will come of it if we're not uh, following uh, things according to his plans and his purposes. So who is the greatest? Jesus. <laughs> no doubt about it. How do we um, uh, live and work according to his plans and purposes? We need to become least and last in order to be uh, exalted with him and see his glory uh, come to pass. Amen. Amen.